want you guys to know that I'm making a new record and I need your help. We had an unexpected surgery in a family that uh, wiped out all the money that we had set aside to make this record. And, you know, we do everything out of pocket. We're just, uh, there's no label or any investors or anything like that. There's no big company behind this. It's just uh, me and Amy doing whatever we can. So uh, to fund this record, we decided we would do a Kickstarter campaign. And if you'd like to kick in whatever, you know, you can do that. Just go to otisgibbs.com, and there's a link on the front page there. You know, if you guys enjoy this this show that I put out every week, you know, I do this just here in the living room, and we don't make any money off of it or whatever. I just really enjoy doing it and getting to talk to these people. And uh, maybe this would be an opportunity for you guys to help support this endeavor. If you want to, that'd be beautiful. If you don't, I understand, but... Just go to otisgibbs.com, and uh, we have a lot of different levels there. You might be able to do a little bit of a pre-order and help us out. But uh, anything that you could chip in will be greatly appreciated. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville, Tennessee. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. And this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it. And everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Tom Yutz. Tom is a singer, songwriter, producer, and guitar player who lives right here in Nashville, Tennessee. And Tom is the guy that you hear playing all the guitar on this show. You can find out everything you need to know about Tom at TomYutz.com. I first met Tom eight or nine years ago when I was standing out in front of the Exit Inn here in Nashville. And he walked up to me and said that he'd just read an interview with me in No Depression magazine. And he said something about how I sounded smart or something. And uh, so I immediately liked him. (laughs) But, um, you know, we kind of became friends. And I'd see him when we were out on the road. We'd run into each other here or there. So after I moved to Nashville, ended up doing a couple records with him. I actually did uh, two of my own and uh, one of Amy's records. And really enjoy working with Tom. He's just a hugely talented individual who has a great work ethic and he's really easy to be around. He just comes across real mellow and it's, I don't know, there's no drama working with him. I've always enjoyed that. And uh, I think you guys will enjoy the story of how Tom came to America and uh, ended up moving to Nashville. There's a lot of people that I meet who say they'd like to make a change in their life, who have some things that they feel like they'd like to do but they're a little bit of afraid to. And I think Tom is uh, one of those people who can, his story maybe can inspire you to, to take whatever steps you might have to take to be a little bit happier in your day-to-day life. But anyway, I caught up with Tom over at his studio just outside of Nashville, and uh, we recorded this conversation. Here's Tom Yutz. Well, 
Well, I was born in a little village in the Black Forest of Germany, which is uh, the, in the southwestern part of, of the country. It's pretty close to the Rhine River, about 15 minutes from there. So it's right by the French border. Um, it's a beautiful country, not unlike Tennessee in many ways. Rolling hills, uh, culturally very interesting. Great food, great wine. Um, born there in 69, went to school there. Stayed in that area roughly till, I mean, roughly in that area till I was about 33 years old. Were your parents into music? Yes, very much so. My my grandfather was a uh, was a really really good musician, piano player, choir conductor, arranger. My dad has always dabbled in music, but he's not a great musician. But he was always really into it and really encouraging. I got all the support anybody could get from for for whatever musical endeavor I wanted to to, to take. You remember when you first started playing guitar? I do. I do exactly remember. I, I don't exactly remember how old I was, but I do remember exactly this. I was watching a German uh, country music TV show called Country Time with Freddie Quinn, who was an old actor, singer. And his special guest on that episode was Bobby Bear. And he, Bobby Bear sang Detroit City, and he sang Pour Me Another Tequila Sheila and Lay Down and Love Me Again. And the next day I started playing guitar. Because it was just, my sister had played guitar for a while. I was into it. I was interested in it. But not, seeing him, that person, and that guitar that he played, it was just a, one of those moments where your life just completely changes. And um, I had played music before. I'd had piano lessons and flute lessons. And I was a very, very good flute player. And uh, just that pretty quickly lost out against the guitar. The two largest Canadian air bases were very close to where I, where I lived, and um, the, some of those guys had little bands, and they played in clubs, and my band, when I was about 15, 16, we, we started opening for those guys, and then they, they quickly realized that I was a little more advanced as a guitar player, so they took me on the bass and had me play on their demos and took me to the, I think it was called the PX stores, where they, they'd had like certain rations of cigarettes and stuff and they'd buy me cigarettes and it was i know it sounds sort of stupid but at the time it was really really cool hanging around with people who uh when you went on that base you felt like you were in a different country because they had canadian license plates it was different cars the food was different the cigarettes were different um and it was not just musically very healthy for me because they were into a lot of blues and classic rock stuff that i probably wouldn't have had access to without them and they were, it was also very good for me because it, it, it uh, helped my English tremendously. Parallel to what I, the English I had in school, I probably learned a lot more from hanging out with those guys. Through a coincidence, I, I, had a, I had a band and we played with, we backed up different people. We backed up a, a blues, soul, R&B guy, black guy from North Carolina who was really good. Um, but we also backed up, same band back, backed up an Elvis impersonator. It was a really good band. And, you know, we could, you know, and through, I had met Richard Dobson, who became a very important part of my life. And uh, he had just, he's a very, very great Texas songwriter. He had just moved to Switzerland because he married a Swiss woman. And we met, and he needed a band for gigs. And then I started booking gigs for him. And we started, we, we were touring together for, five years or something i had i had the pa i had the band i had the van i had and it was great for me because he was one 
as a songwriter, one of my heroes. So it was a great thing to hang out with him. And um, it so happened that he was very influential in me moving, eventually moving to Nashville. Well, the, the funny thing that happened with Richard was every time we, we came back from like Switzerland or Austria or Holland or whatever neighboring country, I would always see the, the undercover cop car parked right across the border. And I knew, because Richard and I were always riding in the, in the front, I was always driving, that we were going to get pulled over. And it was, we got pulled over every time we crossed the border. And Richard was the only guy who smoked pot. And he never, they never bothered him, but they always bothered us and made us unload <laughs> the van and load it back in. But he always, you know, because he was 56 years old at the time, they didn't think that he would be smoking weed. <laughs> I'd say when I was about 12 years old, around the time that I started playing guitar, I was so fascinated with country music. I didn't understand the lyrics, but it was the, the, the sound of the music was just so appealing to me. I mean, but the, we had, um, a co I could pick up radio stations for, uh, by CFN and, and uh, AFN, American Forces Network and Canadian Forces Network. And they had country music shows and I would listen to those shows. And it was just something in the music that, that totally appealed to me. I mean, it was, when I think about it now, I think it's just, it's just something that's been in my soul for a long time. It's just probably before I was born, it's just something that needed to be tapped. And once it was, you know, once it got tapped by that little thing, then I was off and running. And I, and I, and I ever since then, it's been driving force in my, in my life. So I had this, this awakening, if you will, uh, musically. And uh, I sort of knew when I was 12 years old that I was going to move to Nashville at some point if I could do it. And it was sort of seemed like a pipe dream, but not, my wife was who I've been together with since I was 15 and she was 14. She had just moved back from America. She'd been in the States for five years and we, we were together and she had this, she always wanted to come back. So it was sort of our, to, to America. So it was sort of our shared uh, dream to do this at some point. And then when I was in my late twenties, early thirties, I realized that I really needed to get away from, from Germany, that I needed a change of scenery that I had, sort of maxed out musically not because it was so great but because of people i was running with and the part of the country that i lived in and we st started looking into it seriously and and um played the green card lottery won a green card uh, managed to do all the paperwork that you have to do to actually get the green card managed to do all that successfully and um then when i was 33 years old we moved to nashville we sold you know sold everything sold a lot of stuff we had Gave up our apartments or whatever else we had. Didn't you guys both work a couple jobs apiece trying to save up well, money? Well, no, my wife was always self-employed as a translator, but I was playing a lot of gigs. We were probably playing three or four gigs a week. And then when I was done with that, I would teach guitar lessons on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And I was, I mean, we just both worked as much as we could because we knew once we moved here, we, we didn't have a credit history. We didn't have... We didn't even have bad credit, which would have been better than having no credit. So we knew that to get our feet on the ground, we needed a significant amount of money to to rent something, eventually buy a house, all that kind of stuff. And we managed to do all that. Where did you end up when you moved here? Well, first we moved to Sylvan Park, which is uh, in West Nashville. We rented a, uh, a converted garage for half a year. And... Uh, we, there was nothing in it when we moved in. We didn't have any furniture, nothing. We just 
Went out that day, bought a bed, bought a small TV, bought two chairs. Eva started working right away because all her work comes through the internet. And we basically sat on the floor for till our container arrived. And it was one of the happiest times we ever had. When Did you buy a house in East Nashville? We did buy a house. We, we rented a place for half a year. And then we bought a house in East Nashville, which I was totally dead set against because I had never owned anything. And I was really terrified of spending all this money that we had saved. <laughs> but um, it's really weird when you make a move like that. Things get really scary before you make that move. You you worked on we've worked on the, we had worked on this for a long time, two, three years. And then, you know, you cancel your you tell the band, okay guys, I'm I'm out of here. You cancel all your students, all of that. Your livelihood is you know, you have a you have a date when your livelihood expires and you go to a new place. And I was pretty freaked out when I got here. I was very happy to be here, but I was also very, very scared. And uh we, when we bought our first car, which was like the first week that we were here, that's sort of, I needed that, as stupid as it sounds, to understand that we were here for good. And, uh, but I still was scared of making too many commitments financially. But once we bought the house and I realized that it's much smarter to pay your own mortgage than somebody else's, uh, pay off your own mortgage than somebody else's, I was all right with it. And uh, we lived there for a while and then we realized that we needed more space for studio and office and guest apartment and dogs. And it was also, East Nashville was getting a little much for me. And we found this place in the country and eventually bought it and been here since. Well, what were the first gigs that you had when you moved to Nashville? You know, I played a couple of gigs around town with people that I knew or people I run into or nothing that really paid anything you know it was just like i was just happy to go out and play but then i got introduced to again through richard i knew that richard richard dobson and david only were good friends and i'd been a big david only fan so i went to a show that david played at the radio cafe and introduced myself and david's wife is from germany so we we sort of hit it off and he out of maybe a week after that he called me and said uh, and asked me if I wanted to play a couple gigs around town with him, and I we did that, and then he asked me to go on the road with him in Holland, and we did that, and we're still really good friends, and I owe a lot to him and a lot of other folks. I started, I ran into again through Richard into Steve Young, who's a really great, great, great songwriter and singer, and he turned me on to his son, and I started making records with his a couple of records with his son, and so you know it just snowballed, but it wasn't. I thought that when I was my Imagine in my imagination, I thought I'm going to move to Nashville. I'll probably get a gig on Lower Broadway, and I'll do that for four or five years, and then from there I'll branch out. Well, I still I haven't played a single gig on Lower Broadway yet. <laughs> wow, that's a strange thing for a guitar player. Well, uh, you know, in hindsight, I mean, it's just you th you imagine all these things when you make a move like that. But look, realistically, looking at it, I'm not the right guitar player for Lower Broadway because I don't know all those songs, and I'm not necessarily a country lead guitar player. Can you tell me how uh, how you met Mary Gaucher? I played a gig at the at a place that's not there anymore called uh, Sherlock Holmes Pub, and um, Mary was in the audience. Mary really liked my guitar playing, and she's just had I think just signed with Lost Highway, and Mercy and I was really really doing well. And she just said, "Man, I want you to go on the road with me if you if you want to do it." And um, 
So for a while, I tried to juggle the gigs with Olney and with Mary, but I knew I had to take the, I knew I had to go the Mary direction because it was just much more gigs, better money, and I was sort of heartbroken about it, but I introduced my friend Sergio Webb to, to David and because I knew that Sergio was looking for something and I thought they were, they'd be a really good team and that turned out great because yeah. they've been together for, they've been playing together for seven years or something, which is, I'm super glad that that worked out. And uh, so I, I went on the road with Mary and we, we had a, I really loved playing with her and it was really good for me. It was, you know, my first real touring in, in the States and in Canada. And then we went to Europe a couple of times, we went to Australia and I'm, I'm very grateful that I had that opportunity. We're still really, really good friends and don't hang out a lot together anymore because, you know, she's hardly here. And yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Is that what led to the Nancy Griffith gig? No, that didn't lead to the to the Nancy gig. I had worked with a with a drummer called Pat McInerney, who's a fantastic drummer, especially for acoustic based music. And uh, again, introduced been, I was introduced to him through Richard, and uh, we had done a lot of studio work together. And so Nancy's Nancy had a guitar player at the time called Clive Gregson, who um, who wanted to do something else, or had I don't know what happened. I ended up sobbing for a bunch of gigs for him and Pat and I had already been such good friends and I had been around Nancy a little bit and she was very comfortable with me being there and eventually she decided she wanted to hire me as a steady guitar player. And that was also happened at a time and the thing with when Mary had to make a couple of tough calls who she was making records with and stuff and I was a little frustrated about some of that, which in hindsight was inappropriate. I, I, sh I shouldn't have been frustrated about that. But anyway, it was, you know, when you worked with somebody for three years and been in a car together for three years <laughs> and sat next to each other on the way to Australia, it's a good thing to, to do something else. And uh, we, I think we both understand that. Things get amplified a lot in those cars. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, the, uh, well, you ended up uh, producing Nancy Griffith record. Mm -hmm. I produced a record for Nancy called The Loving Kind. Actually, Pat McInerney and I co produced it together, which was an amazing thing for me a fantastic opportunity that i'm still you know to this day i'm benefiting from because um you know that kind of name recognition is just if, if that is attached to your name it really works it might be stupid but it's you know i'd rather have people look at my talents than at the names of people i've worked with and their perception of what those names stand for but it's just a reality, and I'm I'm very grateful. I mean, I played with Nancy for five years. It was really good. It was really really good. It was great music. Uh, I had a lot of fun writing with her and making that record with her, and you know, and that eventually ran its course. And it it happened at a time when I felt like I needed to get off the road and concentrate on writing and producing and that kind of stuff. Mary and I always had this thing. We had a we had a road manager in England, a great guy called Chris Runciman, and he told us that in the, I guess in the 18th century there was a thing in, in British in 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 theaters in England where like some kind of mold was growing and people got sick from it and they they called it theater disease. So when Mary and I had crappy, you know, backstage areas or something, we'd always call that theater disease, <laughs> and and we. We still, every once in a while, I'll play a gig somewhere with somebody and I just text Mary Theater Disease or she t <laughs> texts it to me. And uh, 
that's that's still a man there was a lot of funny stuff I, I, tons of stuff i remember one with nancy one of the funniest things was we our keyboard player at the time you know, james hooker he's an american guy but he had married a, a lady also an american lady but they lived in ireland they lived in a castle in ireland like a real fucking old castle like you know that oliver cromwell burned down and uh, we we played a gig, I think it was in Kilkenny or Killarney or something, and he said he was hell-bent on getting us out to that castle and having a picnic, and he had a keg of Guinness and whatever. So we were on the tour bus, and we were driving up to this castle, and it was in the middle of the, I mean, it was like already really late at night after a gig. Everybody had been drinking like crazy. And we got stuck in his driveway because these ancient trees were like, the limbs were hanging over the driver so we couldn't we couldn't get in but we couldn't get back neither so we got it you know walked up to the castle and got a couple of saws out and ladders and shit and you know started <laughs> trimming away on these <laughs> 500 year old trees to get the bus parked and that was a that was a pretty a pretty remarkable that was a night for the for the agents <laughs> before you and i moved Nashville we came here a lot and just hung out try to get a feel for the place and right before we moved here a couple months before we moved here we came here one more time to just to make up our minds whether we really wanted to do this whether this was really the right thing to do and the first night that we came to town some a friend of ours took us to the Bluebird because um, Merle Kilgore and friends were playing at the, at the Bluebird and it wasn't announced who all those people, who those friends were. Well, anyway, we got to the Bluebird, and I sat down, and one of the friends of Merle Kilgore, who, who played that night, was Bobby Bear, and he sat about five feet away from me, and I sort of just went like, well, this is this is not a coincidence. You know? So <laughs> wow. that's when the deal was sealed that we were going to move. That give me chills. Yeah, trust me. <laughs> me too, still. <laughs> Maybe you can tell me about the 1861 project. Well, I'm really interested in the American Civil War, and I, a friend of mine, a friend of ours, Mark Fain, was produce, was supposed to produce a record for somebody who wanted to make a, a record of Civil War songs. So Mark asked me, do you have any Civil War songs? And I said, no, I don't have any, but I can write some. So I wrote two songs, sort of about generic, about the Civil War. And then that guy that Mark was supposed to make the record for decided he wasn't—he was going to make a gospel record instead. So, at that point, I had—I'd always been really interested in the Civil War, but at that point, I started really getting into it and reading up on it. And I had these songs that I really liked, and I just kept going and wrote more and more and more and more. And didn't really have a vision for this project, but as I was writing it, I, I started to, you know, sort of get an idea of what I wanted to do, and I—I I wanted to write songs new songs about poor people in the Civil War on both sides, not decision makers, but, but just average people who had to deal with this shit, you know, as it always is, I assume in wars that somebody makes a decision that now we're going to attack, but you're going to do it for me. <laughs> right. And, and so that's, so we wrote these songs, then we got some cool people involved, got John Anderson and Marty Stewart and, Jerry Douglas and Moore O'Connell and just really cool and a lot of really really cool people that nobody knows involved friends songwriting friends of mine and it it also felt like it was a good opportunity for me to give something back to this songwriting and songwriters and musicians community here in Nashville that 
had welcomed me. So me writing these songs and having this interest as somebody who came from a different place and having the studio, I just felt like it was a good thing where I could give something back to a lot of people who had done a lot of good things for me. There's so many great, talented people here. Yeah. Did that hit you when you first moved here, just the level of musicianship of of the average, even the average person seems to be so talented? I think if you if you move to Nashville and you really know what's going on in Nashville, you're it's going to scare you. You're not going to do it. So having a little bit of the wrong idea is a good thing because if you know how super talented and people are and how hard the competition is, you're probably not going to move here because it, re it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But so if you have a little bit of the wrong idea, that's that works in your favor. It worked in mine. Let me say, how do you, uh, how would somebody find out about the 1861 project? Just go, um, we, our website is uh, 1861project.com. Um, and all the info about the two volumes that are out are all the infos there you can listen to. There's video, there's historical background info. We're working on volume three right now. Well, if you've lived in the United States for five years with a green card, you can apply for citizenship and you have to meet certain requirements. You have to take a test. It's a drawn out process. It took a good two years to, to get that done. Um, but we both eventually became American citizens. Um, to me, it's just, I want to, I'm not a nostalgic person, so I'm not really missing Germany, and I, I feel good here. I feel American. All the, the cultural things that go on in my life are, are American things. Um, I, just, I wanted to be able to vote. I wanted to just not be somebody who's here on some kind of, Although a green card is 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 unlimited, um, I didn't want to be in any kind of danger of losing that green card. You know, I mean, it could be as easy as being in a car with somebody who's got weed on him, which I'm not interested in at all, never have been interested in, and you're sort of being associated with that. And you know, shit can happen, and you lose that green card in a, in a heartbeat. And I didn't want that, but that was just a more of a technical reason for that. It's to being an American citizen is very was a very emotional. Becoming an American citizen was very emotional for me. Go, going to a, you know being there in a courtroom with sixty other people, most of them from from African countries who probably went through hell to 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 get here. You know, especially compared to a guy like me. I mean, for to me it was it was a pain in the butt to go through all the paperwork. But I didn't. I wasn't running away from somebody in Rwanda who was trying to kill me with a kitchen knife. You know, so. That was very emotional, and it was, um, I feel, about, I already said that, I feel American, and I just identify with this with this place so much uh, that it, was just, it seemed like the natural thing to do. I never, had a, I never had any second thoughts about that at all, not at all. I remember you telling me, asking me some of the questions that were, would be on the test that you were mm -hmm. studying for. I have average intelligence, and I didn't know a whole lot of them. Well, it's it's tricky. You know, there's stuff that's really simple, and then there's stuff that most people wouldn't know it. It's not that it's really important to know these things, but they just, I think what they want more than anything else is to see some kind of commitment, that you're going to do something, you're going to do some work on your part yeah. to, to earn this, which I think is good. I enjoyed that. I, I, uh, I was nervous about it, but it was good. Yeah. 
I appreciate you inviting me over to your house and uh, chatting with me. I believe I appreciate that. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks for having me. And, you know, you're always good to have you around here. <laughs> I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Tom for inviting me into his home just outside of Nashville. You can find out everything you need to know about Tom at TomYutz.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to OtisGibbs.com, and right there on the front page will be a link to our Kickstarter campaign, and uh, anything that you can do to chip in to make my next album a a possibility to help fund it will be greatly appreciated. If you'd like to help out, but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment, subscribe while you're there, and you'll get a brand new episode free every Wednesday. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.